Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires. Solutions for your journey. Hello, Gary. John, how are you? Doing well. Doing well, you know. Looking forward to the show. I think I'm going to learn as much as everybody else is. Yeah, it's going to be uh, packed. We've got we've got great people who are going to bring information that uh, you and I, our heads may explode before the show's over. <laughs> well, let's bring them in then. We've got Devin Lindsay from S&P Global Mobility, Mike Barrett from Plant Moran, and Mike Martinez from Automotive News. Great having all you guys here. Good to be here. Thank you. All right, all right. So, so Mike, I want to start with you because we, we got you on. You cover Ford, and there was big news this week that Ford made, and this will segue into the rest of the show. So, so tell us um, what the Ford Motor Company did in Marshall, Michigan, earlier this week. Well, they picked a site for a new battery plant, a massive battery plant. It's going to create twenty five hundred jobs. They're spending three point five billion dollars on this thing. It's going to be set up. A bit uniquely, it's going to be a wholly owned Ford subsidiary, but they're working with CATL. Uh, it'll be their technology in these batteries. Uh, essentially, it's going to give them the opportunity to produce uh, different type of battery chemistry, LFP batteries, for use in you know Mustang Mach-E's and F-150 Lightnings in the future. It's set to open in 2026, so you know a few years out, but. They're arguing it's going to help bring costs down. These batteries are cheaper to build. They don't use as much of the rare materials like nickel and cobalt that the other batteries they use require, and that it will help certain owners of certain EVs in certain use cases. They claim that the LFPs are better than NCM, uh, depending on what you need that EV for. So pretty big news uh, for that company trying to, to continue its ramp of EVs here. So, Mike, is it really going to happen? I mean, as you know, this week, uh, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida came out and he's demand- he's alarmed about it, he says. He's demanding that the Biden administration review this because we might become too dependent on the Chinese Communist Party. And now we just learned today in China, the Communist Party is saying, hey, wait a minute, we're going to review this whole thing. We want to make sure that CATL is not giving Ford its best technology. So, what do you think is going to happen? And your guess is as good as anyone, so you may as well guess. Well, I'll, I'd say that if people are just now starting to get worried that we're too dependent on China, especially in the EV battery space, that that ship has long sailed. Uh, we are dependent on them for now. Uh, the goal, at least from Ford's perspective, is to wean the industry, wean themselves off of a dependence on China through this partnership. I, I don't know if this is just political posturing or if anything will actually come of this. Uh, Ford seems ready and raring to go to break ground out in Marshall and get this thing going. Uh, their argument is that it's going to be a Ford building with Ford employees. Uh, not a single cent of tax dollars is going 
two CATL here. It's all going to Ford. They're just using their technology to get these. So, 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 so to be clear, so Ford is basically buying the machinery and the equipment from CATL, and they're going to put it in this building, and they're going to build batteries with it. That's that's my understanding. Yeah, and yeah, even on. CATL people will come over to set it all up and run it to sort of help them out and, and talk with them, talk them through the launch and the ramp there. And even if you look on the union side, uh, Ray Curry, president of the UAW, said it's his understanding that this plant should be unionized fairly easily through a card check. They don't have to go through the process of a whole uh, union vote uh, like they have to do with the JVs, uh, like with Ford down in Louisville City in Tennessee like GM is doing at some of its battery JVs. So their hope is you should be union jobs as well. Hey, Devin, let's get your, any thoughts on that? Do you think uh, Marco Rubio or the Chinese Communist Party are going to torpedo this deal? Well, uh, that's an interesting way to put it with everything going on with the balloons over the United States skies and everything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is what makes so much of this so difficult because so much is just involved with the politics. And definitely there's going to probably be some posturing heading there because certainly the Biden administration can claim this as the first initial victory that they've had and really being involved in making sure this investment takes place in the U.S. So I think right now, uh, I think once the handshaking gets going on and once everyone figures out what's in it for them, then I think everyone will calm down. This may not be the, the last deal like this that we actually see taking place for a state to benefit and giving them more jobs. Yeah. And, and Mike Bar- Mark Barry, what do, what do you think? Interesting that, you know, when you think about, we'll talk about the IRA later, but, um, you know, the, the foreign entities of concern, China being, you know, predominant amongst them, the fact that there is this... Um, construct that Ford have put together, and Mike probably knows a lot more about that than, than, than I do, but, but that construct that's been put together to sort of defend against that concern in the, from the Biden administration, that's interesting. Um, you know, we've seen other, not just this example, but there are other examples of battery manufacturers who have Chinese uh, intellectual property coming into the U.S., applying for government loans, ATVM loans, etc., um, and I think the, uh, the the way Ford have done this is really interesting. Very interesting. You know, my guess is it, it, it'll happen. You know, Ford doesn't operate in a vacuum. They're so savvy when it comes to the politics of Washington. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, they sounded out the administration saying, hey, what if we go with CATL? We're still going to get the money. And they wouldn't have gone through with this whole deal, I think, unless they had strong signals that it was all going to be okay. Yeah, and to that point, uh, we had a chance to talk with Bill Ford a little bit at that battery plant announcement earlier this week, and he did say they have been in pretty constant communication with the administration talking through a lot of this. Some of the other executives said, you know, this is the reason they set the the plan up this way, is to guard against a lot of what the concerns were. So that's their argument. We'll see if it pans out. You know, like, I want to ask just one, one, one thought on this, Mark, I wanted to follow up. You know, you mentioned uh, other battery companies with Chinese intellectual property. There's Envision AESC, which is ostensibly a Japanese company headquartered in uh, in Japan, but it's owned by the Chinese. And, you know, Mercedes is dealing with them. BMW is dealing with them. Nissan looks like it's going to deal with them because this actually comes out of the old Nissan battery plants. Uh but uh, yeah, nobody's no one has brought this up yet. That you know, to your point, CATL is not the only Chinese entity right. playing around in American battery building 
They, they are not, um, but both in, in the US and then when you think about USMCA, when you think about you know, Mexico and, and Canada as well, and particularly Mexico, you're starting to see uh, a, a significant interest from the Chinese uh, entities thinking about, I'm not going to say backdooring into, into Mexico, but, but thinking about how they evolve into USMCA region and and take advantage of that so and then we know of a couple of uh, you know specific examples actually out west where uh battery manufacturers that have again as i said um uh, chinese ip that are that are launching and the the doe from from their perspective are sort of um saying saying on a minute because uh you know that this is not the, the direction that that we want to go or the ira goes or the administration is going so yeah, I guess watch this space a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mike, before we get, get away from Ford entirely, um, what is the sense from the people that you talk to there of their position in the EV world right now vis-a-vis -vis their competitors? They like where they're at. They feel they're ahead of their own internal schedules. Uh, if you look at sales, they're number two as a company to Tesla largely because of the conversation we're going to get into later, the IRA, uh, Hyundai Motor Group didn't have access to the tax credits uh, or, or doesn't have access to, to some of the tax credits that sort of helped boost Ford in the back half of last year even. Um, they, they're happy with where they're at from a demand side. Obviously, in terms of execution, that's a whole other story. Their vehicles are not profitable right now. That's an issue if they're not making money on them. And obviously, you have the news of the week, I think, with F-150 Lightning production being down for a couple of weeks over that battery fire, uh, trying to figure out the cause of that issue and how to move forward there. So it uh, depends on what side you're looking at it from. But in terms of the demand, in terms of sales, uh, they are uh, Jim Farley wanted to be number two in the U.S. at the end of this year. They got there in 2022 and they got there in 2021 actually as well, although that was kind of an asterisk because that was the year, you know, GM would have beat them if not for the Bolt uh, uh, battery fire recall and stop sale. So Ford's been number two the past two years. That's ahead of schedule. So what do you think is going on with that, that battery? I mean, Ford says they've identified the root cause of the problem, but as you just said, that plant's going to be closed for like three weeks. You know, it seems to me there, there's some disconnect there. I mean, if you found the recause of the problem, why does it take you three weeks to crank production back up? Yeah, I think that there needs uh, there's a, a high level of concern there. Uh, obviously, they're saying there's no risk at this point to all the lightnings in customer hands or at dealerships right now, although they stopped all the ones that are in transit. Uh, but you're right. Let's say they are able to fix that problem just like that and get this plant up and running at the end of next week. That's still, you know, three weeks, at least a couple thousand units, uh, three, four, five thousand units. If, if we're estimating here, that's uh, real money. That's going to be a, even more of a delay for all these people that are waiting a very long time for this vehicle. So it's not good for their bottom line. It's not good for uh, perception as well, right? They're trying to establish themselves as the clear number two and eventually take on Tesla in the U.S. If this snowballs into anything more serious, it's going to set back their ambitions a bit, I think. So, so Mark or Devin, does does this situation as well as the the, the battery fire that uh, that Mike mentioned that the Bolt had, um, 
does this indicate that maybe the domestic OEMs, which are really good at internal combustion engines, may not be so good yet in terms of EVs in, at the at the rate they're pushing forward? Devin, I'll let, let you go. Sure, thank you. Uh, well, certainly, I think that's definitely a possibility. There's going to be growing pains involved with all of this, and I think we've seen it with every single OEM that has launched a product. And that may be another reason why Ford is taking their time. They may say that they know where the problem is at, but it probably is still best to make sure, you know, it's kind of like before you send a child back to school, you want to make sure that they're well before, you know, anything else happens again. So let's just keep them home a little bit longer. And that probably is what Ford is doing here because no one can really handle continuous bad publicity. If one fire happens, then another one happens and then don't let it, you know, be another vehicle involved. And then once you start going down that road and your customers start hearing that all the time and that becomes the main headline, then it's going to take a really long time to get back to that. So it's probably best to go through it now with these growing pains. And in the meantime, they can still invest and earn money uh, from their ICEs <laughs> to kind of get them through this tough time. Uh, and, you know, that's another conversation for another show, I'm sure. But they can still go ahead and make some profits off the ICEs until that maturity takes place. They don't have to worry about it nearly as much. Yeah, uh, uh, Gary, I tend, to, I tend to agree with Devin there. I think this is a uh, – I remember when Lordstown had a, a thermal runaway event, right, uh, a.k.a. fire. Um, you know, they that was a, a very long investigation into the, the root cause, and it turned out it was actually a, a messed-up manufacturing uh, uh, process on one of, the, one of the tabs on the end of a module. Um, it's not – and it wasn't found within any, any other – uh, vehicle. It was just it was an an anomaly, and so you know to to Devin's point, maybe that's what we're finding out here is that there is there will be um, you know these growing pains. There will be manufacturing anomalies that that are, that are not systemic. But but my word, do they ever raise to the uh, to the to the public? Right. They got to poke a yoka it. You got to make it foolproof, mistake proof. Yep. Not that every ICE has ever been mistake proof. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember years ago, Ford had hired a guy to, uh, on the assembly line for Mustang wiring. You know, there was red wires and white wires and black wires and gray wires. He was colorblind. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they found that problem pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk IRA. Devin, let me throw it in your lap. Is, is this going to be the the legislation that is really going to put the U.S. on the map from an EV manufacturing standpoint? Well, I think it needed to be done. That's certainly the goal. That's certainly the ambition of the legislation. And I think for really, you know, we always talked about infrastructure for over a decade when EVs were coming out. And every president has always talked about the need for infrastructure in one way, shape or form, whether we're talking about roads, buildings, et cetera. But something needed to be done now with building up this supply chain for all of these electric vehicles that the whole world has allegedly been waiting for for so many years. So I think on one end, uh, it, it certainly is anticipated anticipated it could be that way. But still, in the end, customers are going to get the final word and the opportunity now for them to go ahead and include more tax credits in there, uh, even down to use vehicles as well, use battery electric vehicles. That's certainly the intent. But still, where the customers are going to be ready to jump out of their ICEs, this is going to go a long way into help encouraging them to do so. And certainly in concert with California's Advanced Clean Cars, or as we call it, the ZEV mandate, in concert with that as well. I think both of them working together 
can really aid and, and make that, you know, certainly a possibility for the United States to kind of have this landmark legislation. Now, again, whether customers choose it or not is one thing, and also about other regions as well, if they end up retaliating with their own, which can be a nightmare for manufacturers. So, Devin, right. you seem real, rather realistic about this. Let's let's go into this for a moment. Um, okay. Um, so, while we're hearing General Motors and, and Ford and and to a little smaller degree Stellantis say, "Oh, this is this is where we're going. This is our future." Um, you seem to be, you know, you, you're involved in in looking at powertrains across the board. Um, are, are you seeing continued strength for the next several years, at least in, in ICEs, despite the IRA? Well, I think we have to be realistic about it, because if we go throughout history, we've always seen kind of going forward and coming back, whether we're talking about the 70s uh, with fuel crisis and we go to the 80s where we had downsize and turbo and then we ended up going back to high horsepower and V8s. So just from a realistic standpoint, I think this is what makes IRA so beneficial because it became something that the United States actually put a stake in the ground and said that they were going to do. And if we go back you know, some years ago, that's something that all of the other regions had done, but the United States had not done the same thing. So now they have to really convince the public that they're going to be serious and not turn back. California and, and its related states, uh, as they call them the Section 170 states, had done so. But this is the first time we're really seeing this from the, at the federal level. So I, I think that's why there's so much potential and so much upside. And it certainly makes GM look smart with the commitment that they said they were going to make toward complete battery electric vehicles by 2035. And now all the other manufacturers can say, yes, this is why we made that commitment. But now, again, we're still at this early stage. And so it, it finally gives teeth to some of the you know words that were coming out of the mouth for so many of the manufacturers for so long. But that still does not mean that the IC is going to be completely extinct uh, within the next 10 years. So, Mark, what do you think? IRA, this is going to do it for the U.S.? Or is it going to end up being competitive with China? Well, <clears throat> I think it's a major step forward. I really, you know, I think what, what we're going to see is some of the potential, um, I don't know whether the unintended consequences, but, you know, when you, I was talking earlier this week around, you know, the, the dynamic pricing, right, from a Tesla or a, a Ford, as we've seen, uh, too, and, uh, and others, but nothing coming from a, a, a Renault or, a, you know, a, a Volvo I saw, BMW, sticking with their pricing because, quotes, they think, um, you know, they've hit the pricing right. Well, the reality is they don't have the flexibility that, you know, domestic manufacturers have coming up to to play around with that. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is is it a good thing to be playing around with dynamic price, you know, pricing now where we're still trying to get consumers on board with EVs, you know, have some confidence in what they're buying? I don't know that this is the time to be playing around with that dynamic pricing. And when when the IRA was first announced, we had a, a, a lot of discussion internally around: is this is this money? This whether it be the you know, obviously the, the the credits to the consumer is 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 not in doubt, but the the production tax credits, the sort of forty five dollars a kilowatt hour for for battery manufacturing, is that going to stay with the OEM or the the you know the Altium or the Ford as Mike Mike has been describing with the that wholly owned subsidiary, or is it going to be passed to the consumer? And we always we always wondered whether that would be, uh, you know, where that would, would sit. And I think we're seeing that pendulum, will, I think, will swing back and forth because now they've got this money to play with. If you think about, you know, a 100-kilowatt battery pack, 
you've got four and a half thousand dollars to pay with to play with if you want to from a pricing perspective that you can pass on if you feel you should and so i think that's going to play out over the next few years with with domestic producers being able to play with that and folks who are on you know asian or european manufacturers who was outside of the us at, at a disadvantage so, go, so, go so explain, but, but, but let's wait. But let, explain what you mean about this this forty five dollars. I mean, for people yeah, that, who are not in the weeds in this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just like so. So, explain how this happens. So and, yeah. So, as part of the as part of the IRA, there is a um, uh, a thirty five kilowatt per hour um, uh, for available to you plus another ten dollars per kilowatt hour available to you if you're making and manufacturing batteries in the u.s so it's 35 dollars for the cell and 10 bucks for the pack right right so so a total of 45 kilowatts per hour so so 45 kilowatts per hour so when i calculate that to four and a half thousand dollars i'm assuming a hundred kilowatt um pack right which is an average G, uh, the an, uh, the lyric is average is a is a hundred kilowatt per hour battery pack, so you've now so so that that's a production tax credit that that is available to manufacturers in the U.S. Um, that is not available to anybody that's importing batteries from Southeast Asia or or from China or or wherever that that. Now that a GM, a Ford, a Stellantis, if they're here, anybody that's producing a, a, a battery a cell and module and pack here has available to them, which I think is is really an interesting part of the future dynamic of of an OEM being able to price that. Price so, 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 the, so the factory that Ford is building in Marshall, Michigan, so they, yep, they build this example. big factory, and let's say that that coming off the line are – 100 kilowatt hour packs and every time one of those things comes off the line ford gets 4500 bucks from the government yep and, a, and ford does believe it will right. qualify for the full yep. full 45 dollars. that's a that's a lot of money that's Ultium, incredible Ultium, ultium's the same uh you know so uh, what i mean look this can't go on forever right i mean uncle sam's not just going to be shoveling out money when do we run out of this money 10 years the 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 legislation is ten years. Whew. Wow. Yep. So, so so isn't this basically an incentive to build battery plants? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if if you if you looked at the from the announcement of the uh, the IRA to let's say today, when you saw you you saw the announcements, continued announcements um, that that are, that are going forward. You know, even folks like Mazda and Honda and you know folks that you would think would not traditionally have a a battery joint venture are having a battery joint venture. Now, the one piece which is interesting, and we still have to get confirmation of this, and I think, John, you alluded to this, that the, the final Treasury um, regulations will be announced sometime early March. One of the things we're hearing is that there's potentially going to be a $4.5 billion cap on on the the, the the production tax credits. And if that's the case, then you know that, that will influence a little a little bit. We're also seeing, um, not to put two and two together to make five, but you know, um, the the fourth Altium plant that was announced is not going to be with LG. It's going to be with quotes another uh, provider. Well, that may start another four point five billion dollars clock running for GM, for example, because it's not with the same partner and manufacturer. So, 
watch that watch this space because we don't exactly know how that will play out but there's there's some implications for for how the final regulations are written and what that means for some of the partnerships that we're seeing today so so mike do you do you get the sense that when you when you talk to the uh, execs at ford that you know they're they're very cognizant of the fact that um when 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 they're making echo boost engines they're not getting forty five hundred dollars every time they build one and that if they build these battery plants they're going to be you know making money on the on the front end and on the back end hundred percent i mean this the this i r a all all the provisions here hundred percent influenced where they put this plant right they said they they looked at a number of sites uh outside of north america um uh, but they picked Michigan. Obviously, Virginia was in the running. There was that whole storyline about how uh, Governor Youngkin took them out of the running because of his concerns over China. Uh, but I think this is going to spur companies like Ford to to do what Ford did and and to invest in the U.S. Here, they they are cognizant of the fact uh, they're getting this money. I I don't want to speculate in terms of of what what these guys have talked about in terms of passing it on to the consumer or not. But you know, like I said, I will point out. These are very thin margins, uh, uh, negative margins, actually, uh, on these vehicles that they're producing. So you wonder how if they want may want to keep that money, um, at least uh, in the next few years. Maybe once they do start making money off the lightnings and Machis and whatever else is next, uh, maybe they, they rethink that strategy. John, if you're saying something, I don't think we can hear you. All right, I'll ask a question while he's busy getting his microphone to work. Um, okay, so all of this money we're talking about, this is this is separate from the $7,500 that consumers conceivably can get, right? Correct. Anybody? Yeah, yes. no, ab- that, absolutely. It's a, it's a separate piece of, it's a separate uh, part, yeah. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah. It's- yeah. Okay, so I, I was just going to jump in. Our, our colleague Joe White at uh, Reuters has a real good theory, I think, as to why Young can did what he did. And and Joe's theory is that Youngkin knew West Vir- or, or Virginia was not going to get the site. And in fact, you know, Jim Farley told the mayor of Marshall, Michigan, you are our hands down choice. So Joe's theory is Youngkin realized he was not going to get it and decided to make political hay with it. You know, as, as long as he's not getting it, why not get some boss out of it and Declare he's not going to bow down to the Chicons. You know what? I'd, I'd say that's probably a very smart theory, um, especially because when you think of locally here, there's been a lot of concern, uh, a lot of uh, hand-wringing over the fact that Ford chose Tennessee and Kentucky for the Blue Oval City project. And there was some reporting afterwards that Michigan just was not prepared to offer uh, uh, facilities, a, a site that big that for to meet Ford's needs. So uh, some changes were made in terms of, of what happens out in Lansing and the incentives offered to try to spur more investment and make sure that the state of Michigan did not lose out on the next possible investment. And we've seen subsequently GM make some, some announcements here in the state and, and Ford. Uh, I, so I think the Blue Oval City snub of Michigan may have played into this as well. Right. And, and that would, make total sense for for governor yunkin to sort of take that stance there 
So one of the things we haven't talked about vis-a-vis the IRA is is the fact that the minerals that go into these batteries, um, there's also money there. Is is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's part of the um, that's actually part of the seven and a half thousand dollars of um, in consumer incentives. The uh, where we have to have minerals either processed, uh, extracted, or processed. So there, that is a an interesting um, uh, switch there. And you know, much of the supply chain that's being developed around the the, the battery value chain in the U.S. is around processing, right? So we're still going to see. Um, you know, raw materials come in from overseas, but provided they're processed on it in domestically, that will qualify for um, for the incentives. So, so most of the most of the refining right now, I understand, is done in China for for today these these batteries today. So, so this this is this is basically money that that some other companies would would use to build factories. Is that what that money is about, or is it just basically uh, OEM is sort of gets its hand forced to say, okay, if you want to be able to pass along this $7,500 tax credit to your customer, you've got to make sure that this happens. It's, it's, uh, uh, that's a complex, complex question. It's a great question. Um, because the, you know, the U S government that through programs like ATVM advanced, uh, vehicle manufacturing programs, the EERE, which had you know three point one billion dollars uh, spread out last last year, are building the battery value chain, which includes all of the processing capabilities, to allow entities to have access to that seven and a half thousand dollars. So it's a it's a double hit uh, or a double benefit uh, is probably the way. So that you know, the U.S. government is is helping to fund the manufacturing, uh, production, construction, and launch. And will allow you to benefit from those incentives for the next ten years, as far as the IRA is concerned. Anyway. Hey, look, we've got to take a, a quick commercial break to our uh, for our good sponsor, Bridgestone, and then uh, we got to come back and talk more about these these subsidies and what's going to be available to foreign automakers, because that's a big question mark. But first, a quick commercial break. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on wet roads? It's their hydro track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is their Bridgestone. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. We're back talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. Bad name, as we established at the top of the show. But, Devin, as you know, uh, foreign automakers are very concerned uh, about this because uh, if you qualify as a as a consumer, you can get seven thousand five hundred dollars in terms of a cre- tax uh, credit. Um, but if you're not qualified, you're you're kind of screwed in that regard. And now the Treasury, you know, look, the, the Biden administration, it's under enormous pressure from Europe, Japan and South Korea saying, hey, come on, we're your allies. You know, don't you want us to help you with Ukraine and Taiwan and all this other stuff? Cut us some slack here. So I'm sure the Biden administration put the, the arm on the U.S. Treasury and said, figure out something here. And they came up with the idea that if you lease a car, that's actually a commercial transaction. And so you would. Uh, be able to qualify for the $7,500. What do you think is going to end up? Because Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin, West Virginia came out and said, no way in hell. We wrote this thing that it's got to be made in the USA. So what are your thoughts, Devin? Where where, where do you think this is all going to go? Yeah, that that's very tough. And it was interesting that it worked out that way. And I think to your point, you know, certainly when you look at, at the strength and the amount of vehicles that Honda and Toyota sell over here, that is definitely a case. And the amount of production that they actually already have in the United States. Do you really want to punish them if you're deciding that this is going to be your powertrain technology choice in the future? I don't think that you do, especially with the reputation that a company like Toyota has for being green. Uh, so I think in terms of the leasing, it, it, it sounds like, I guess, as everyone calls it, a loophole that they were able to kind of work through, at least for 2023. I, I'm, I speculate that it may be able to get closed probably by the end of this year. But I, I would expect something else to be offered, you know, again, because you don't want to go ahead and really alienate your allies. Uh, now, in, in terms of, you know, for maybe some of the other manufacturers, they may be able to kind of stay away from the tax credit because if they make enough of a profit on their vehicles, uh, that it, it may be something they feel their consumers are going to purchase those vehicles already instead. And I'm sure, you know, in a moment, we're going to touch on some of those other manufacturers that may be mostly hurt by it. But right now, there's a, a, at least certainly more of a loophole for those who can go ahead and at least try to get some traction in, at least for 2023, under this kind of uh, uh, leasing agreement that they have going on. So, so you think the leasing agreement is sticking for now, at least? I, I don't think it's probably going to be pulled off by, you know, maybe March. I, it, it may be something that they may say, OK, you can have it up until the end of this year, uh, because it'd be kind of rough to just run it for three or four months and then say, OK, now we're not going to do it. We're going to close this off. So they may still give them a little bit of a grace period until they come up with another solution. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? I think it's really uh, difficult right now to to mess around with the the pricing and the deals that that consumers you know, you know are exposed to when we're in a you know all the o, the OEMs particularly a GM and a Ford are, you know trying to encourage and, and I always should include Tesla but you know really trying to encourage the adoption uh, you know if if I'm thinking about buying an electric vehicle right now and and deals are on and off the table. I'm I'm not I'm going to wait. 
right? I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be uh, you know jumping in uh, as you know as Devon mentioned. I don't think there's um, uh, any advantage to the to the automakers anyway. Maybe the the Feds is a different issue, you know, to to be playing around with that. Not least of which is you know I don't if I'm buying a vehicle and I you know I, a lot of these deals are in flux. What is my residual? What is my you know, is last year's Tesla worth more than my my Tesla now? I mean, I'm 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 not happy with that. If I'm a consumer, I'm not I'm and I'm going to wait. Mark, do you, do you think that's a strategy, or this is just something that that you know Elon Musk, being Elon Musk, just said, okay, I want to you know juice sales. I'm going to cut prices, and you know then you saw Ford follow, yep. and you know I mean. And, you know, as you said earlier, I mean, this is sort of unprecedented in this industry. I mean, when, right. when does somebody cut when does somebody cut costs when demand is so high? Isn't it the opposite? <laughs> it's a really it's a complex issue, right? Because you've got, you know, you've got the, 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 the startups who are going, you know, trying to go direct to customer. You've got, you know, historically, you've got, um, you know, the, the, the OEMs playing with dealer incentives, etc. You've got... Um, you know, you've got this this federal money that's floating around that can play around with different different pricing levels, and you've got a you know a, a nervous consumer base that's really trying to think. You know, do, I, I'm nervous about the range now. I'm nervous about buying one because of the pricing. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, I, I need to uh, I need to understand with some certainty what's going on. So I don't think it's helpful. I mean, it, overall, I don't think it's helpful to the to the. To the marketplace of the OEMs to be to be pushing this certain you know, this, this strategy. It's much, you know, the U.S. consumer is much more akin to you know a high-priced vehicle, a medium-priced vehicle, or a low-priced vehicle. And unfortunately, right now they don't have a lot of those options uh, you know to buy. Right? We've seen the thirty-thousand-dollar Equinox announced uh, you know last fall of the show. Whether there'll be many of those, I'm not sure. It's probably like $59,000 Corvette, right? Probably not any of those knocking around. But, but maybe that maybe the 30, 37, 38, which is still you know well well below transaction prices now. That's what that's what I'm looking for. If I'm a consumer, I'm not looking for any games, to be honest with you. Hey, so, Devin, so you. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Gary. Well, I was going to ask, ask Mike. I mean, when we're talking about this pricing situation, and you know, when you talk to the guys at Ford, I mean, are are they comfortable with having had to do that, or do you think that there's some reticence there? Uh, you know, I, I can't say for for sure because they they wouldn't tell me. Um, but I, I can't believe they are too happy uh, having to do that. I will tell you, in dealer world, uh, which you know our, our publication really focuses on, and, and I'm chatting with a bunch of them, uh, they're so confused and they want answers. They don't know what to tell their customers. And uh, to Mark's point, that leads to more uncertainty, right? Because these buyers are looking to the dealers to provide some clarity and provide some information, some basic information to them about this, you know, very expensive piece of equipment that they're trying to buy. Dealers don't know what to say right now Uh, in terms of the incentives. A lot of them are just saying, Hey, Talk to your tax accountant. They will probably be able to help you more than we can. I talked with Ford's dealer council chairman, Tim Hovick. Um, he's been around quite some time. He's a dealer down in Arizona. And he gave me a great quote. You know, in this industry, we love we love good good zingers, right? And uh, he, he said something like, you basically need an abacus and a Ouija board and a pair of dice to figure out whether or not you qualify. And and that's hard from my perspective to tell customers. Like, I just don't know. So they need some clarity here. Uh, but again, in terms of that price war, interesting that Ford's really the only one that jumped in on that, right? right? We haven't seen it expand any further. And 
again, I, I've mentioned this a number of times on the show already, but you know, they don't have any profit margins on these vehicles. So the fact that they were the ones to jump in and, and raise their prices uh, and change their prices, uh, I mean, is, is quite interesting. Yeah. And then Mike, uh, Elon that... put, put money back on. I mean, Elon pushed it back on and Ford didn't do that. Exactly. Did, so did, did Elon sucker Ford into dropping its prices and then he turns around and raises them? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> Good chess move. I, I don't want to say no. <laughs> in, in a way, yeah, I think it looks that way. Yeah. Hey, Devin, you, you raised it before. I, I think there's uh, at least a half a dozen automakers that are under a real threat of the IRA. My guess is, to, to your point, that Treasury will say, okay, we'll let this loophole of leases qualifying go on for maybe to the end of the year, but you know, Congress was pretty adamant. They want this to be a made in the USA kind of a uh, program. So when I look at uh, Subaru, Mitsubishi, Jaguar Land Rover, Mazda, Porsche and Audi, looks to me like uh, the IRA puts them at a competitive disadvantage. You know, Porsche, it probably doesn't matter. Porsche is going to be able to sell Porsches, you know. Their buyers don't. In fact, their buyers probably don't even qualify for the seventy five hundred dollars. But uh, but the rest of them, you know, especially like uh, a Subaru and a Mazda. Yikes. What do you think they're going to do? And this is why I started talking about customers when we ever we include IRA, because it's still slightly two different things. But yet they're both still so interdependent on each other. And when we look at Mazda and we look at Subaru, especially for their buyers, it does really put them into a bind because, at, like you said, it's at a competitive disadvantage. The person, even if it, you know, for all the things intended, let's consider all of the Porsches or Jaguar Land Rovers even qualifying if they're under that $80,000 SUV uh, threshold or $50,000 for passenger cars. People still want those nameplates really no matter what. So it may not be as much fear from the competition, but Mazda and Subaru are competing against Honda, Toyota, GM, Ford, et cetera. And so now uh, from what we are anticipating, probably the one that's going to turn out, we'll say the best and, and kind of really tweaking its plans, probably according to Ira, we assume it's going to end up being Mazda. Uh, right now, just from you know what we're understanding in the market, Subaru uh, doesn't really have an answer yet. And, and I think that that's kind of tough for them, because when you look at the number of models that they sell, certainly a limited number. And it's certainly how, you know, I think all auto, automakers are dealing with how do we transfer our DNA into this new electric vehicle space? Subaru has always been with that boxer engine, and they've always had just kind of some things about Subaru that made them unique, especially an internal combustion engine. How do you translate that over to battery electric vehicles? Maybe that's something that they're working on, but now having to locally produce in the U.S. is going to be very, very difficult. And I think Mazda, we anticipate them beginning to localize some production and really put more emphasis on some of their hybrids. When I say localize, I mean in North America for them to be able to qualify for some of the available tax credits for their consumers. Yeah, Mike, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think uh, at least from the Ford perspective, they're expecting uh, you know most of what they have to be able to qualify uh, at least for that 3750, right? Um, they're trying to work out the whole mineral uh, element of it to see if, if their guys can get the full 7,500. Um, but it's going to be a concern moving forward here. And Mark, what do you think? Are, are Mazda and uh, Subaru going to have to hitch their wagon to Toyota? I mean, you know, they're, they're part of the, the, the big umbrella group there, as it were. Toyota has equity uh, ownership in them, but how do you think this is going to play out for them? 
and, and I, I guess we could throw Mitsubishi in there too. Yeah, I th well, I think Subaru is already hitching their wagon pretty strongly to Toyota with the the BZ platform. If you if you saw their announcement, uh, when was it? A couple of weeks ago, um, you know, of the of the uh, dual badged uh, BZ Toyota. I think that's you know leveraging you know from their historic um, you know relationship. I mean, think all the way back to Subaru of, of Indiana. I think they were they were manufacturing Corollas back in in the same yeah. plant. They were I mean all the way back there. So there's there's no um, you know there's no uh, change there. Um, you know Mitsubishi is kind of interesting. You know obviously in the in the um, with their longer-term relationships and, and and really with their volumes here, is that are they going to stay a, a you know an ICE play? Maybe I think that's that's possible. Um, it, Mazda, I think Mazda are making some moves. I think um, I mean, Devin, you just mentioned that um, you know Mazda, I think is 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 they've they've already announced interest in their own you know manufacturing in the US in battery manufacturing so so that's an interesting one to look at um you know i look at hyundai kia i mean hyundai kia right now for example i think some of their ev product is fantastic and they they have the manufacturing facility they they surely need expansion in the US in any regard so i mean i i would look to them to think about you know that being a, a an ev uh, expansion in the U.S. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. Well, sure, no, no. They've already announced they're they're putting in yeah. a, a five right. billion dollar right. EV plant, right. and also putting in a battery plant. Yeah. So yeah. you know, they're no fools. They know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, they've been looking for expansion for for a while now. So so as you said, that that that, that announcement is absolutely in line with where we want then and then you know honda i mean i think honda the, the retooling of their of their facilities in in ohio is really significant i think their announcements um you know to date have been right on point nissan you know remains nissan <laughs> but um but so i, I think there's you know I, and i i the one i'm interested in is seeing whether um, what VW is going to do uh, for growth in the U.S. VW Group? I think that that is going to be uh, is something really interesting to look for. You know, but it's sort of interesting if you think about it. Okay, to to the point of VW. I mean, yeah. so we've seen the ID4 has not yep. you know set the world on fire, right? Right. Yet you know they are are you know good corporate citizens. They're building them yep. in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I mean, they're 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 doing all the right things, and 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 we talk about these vehicles. And, and the IRA money and things like that as though, you know, tax credits sell cars. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, and if you think about it, I mean, Tesla did pretty good for quite a while without uh, anybody uh, giving them any money to do that. And, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, Devin goes back to your, your, your thing about, you know, customer demand and what we're going to see. And um, so according to Kelly Blue Book's most recent numbers, the average price of an electric vehicle in the United States last month was 58,725 bucks. Okay. Um, is, is the IRA going to change that or is this just wishful thinking? Well, you know, I would say that I think IRA has more of an impact when we start having much more of a mature market. Right now, people are buying what they really want to buy. And, I mean, and obviously, with most of your electric vehicles being sold or Teslas, that's a perfect example of that. Uh, so, but once we start getting to that point, 
where when you know certainly if we get to the Biden administration having the desire of 50 percent of the vehicles sold being battery electric by 2030, when when OEMs have to have pretty much a complete model lineup of being battery electric, then I think that's when you'll have so many customers that well, at least they hope would be wanting a battery electric vehicle where they then will start price compare doing price comparisons and saying, you know what, seventy five hundred dollars or thirty five thirty seven fifty, that's enough to make me maybe want to buy that vehicle over another. Because again, right now, no one's going to be making their distinction based on the transmission, uh, whether it's a manual, automatic, or DCT, or whether it's you know a V eight or V six. It's going to perhaps come down to price and other amenities, and I think that's when Ira really have his teeth in there uh, to benefit some of the automakers. Mark, you, you had mentioned uh, Nissan. I got a question for you and, and probably for Devin too. I mean, when I look at all the major automakers, they've all announced plans for battery plants, except for Volkswagen and Nissan. Volkswagen says it's it's committed, I guess, to, to building one in Ontario and Canada, but they're still searching for a site, they say. And Nissan, almost a year ago, said it was very shortly going to announce where its battery plant's going. And, and here we are nearly a year later and nothing's happened. Uh, what do you think's holding them up? Or do you have any ideas on that? I, I, I suspect, you know, Nissan's getting a little bit holed up with just overall profitability and the, the ability to invest in those, um, you know, those facilities. Um, you know, what you're talking about, two and a half billion dollars for a, for a, you know, a, a Altium size or a, a blue oval size kind of plant. That's not, that's not um, insignificant. The, you know, what I find about Nissan is, you know, their, their, um, their marketing versus their, the reality is that I feels like the biggest stretch to me is where you have, you know, Nissan thinking about being the, you know, an organization that's, that's built cars that have gone $5 billion on electric, 5 billion miles on, a, on electric uh, propulsion. But then, you don't see that commitment going forward. I mean, I actually, you know, interestingly, you know, the the reorganization at Toyota and the and the building of their the, their new management team might make Toyota more aggressive than Nissan in the in the future in the EV world. Which you know, who would have thought of that even six months ago, right? Um, but I think that that's maybe where we're we're seeing you know that um, that change there. But uh, I suspect it's. You know, with everything at, at Nissan, a lot of it, you know, goes back to overall profitability, financials, um, you know, and the ability to, to make those investments. Yeah, you know, also, I think that, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Devin. No, I was just going to, I certainly agree with that. I think Nissan is a perfect example of even sh- still determining on what propulsion system, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they had uh, the e-power system that they called it uh, primarily in Japan that they were looking at here for the U.S. that seems to be on again, off again. So I still think they're trying to find its way. And certainly even for VW and perhaps for, you know, the, all the automakers that started getting into the battery business about a decade ago and it didn't work out too well. Maybe they're being a little bit more risk averse for a couple of them right now as they work out some of the other issues in terms of working out which models that they want to come out with, where those that production is going to take place at. And maybe they already have some battery prices locked in that they don't have to worry about it too much in the short term. Well, John, 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 you probably remember a few years ago when we were down in Smyrna, Tennessee, when Nissan showed us their battery plant. I mean, and they were, you know, Ford didn't have one. General Motors didn't have one. There's Nissan saying, hey, we're making batteries for Leafs. Oh yeah, and and they they put a plant in uh, Japan. They put one in in Sunderland and the UK in England as well. I mean, Carlos Ghosn at the time, remember he said we have a competitive advantage that nobody else can match. And 
And now that that plant in Smyrna belongs to Envision AESE. You know, they they got rid of and, and that, this is what's so crazy. They sold that plant off and now they're looking for a location to build a battery plant. I mean, it's it's just nuts. But, Mark, I want to go back to a point that you made that I agree with you uh, about Toyota. I think you're going to see a, a dramatic change in their messaging sometime after April 1st. Because April 1st is when Akio Toyota gets kicked upstairs, you know, becomes the chairman of the company. And, you know, I, I don't know if it was a boardroom coup or what was going on, but that that management change came out of nowhere. And I know it caught people at Toyota by surprise. There was no indication of that happening. And my reading of the tea leaves is that uh, the board said, hey, you know, the, the environmentalists are kicking our teeth in here because we're dragging our, our heels here on, on EVs. And so I think once they make the change and maybe, you know, a month or two goes by and everybody forgets that Akio was promoted, boom, they're going to come out and, and show a much more aggressive stance with EVs. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Now, I, I was in uh, Japan last year. We did a tour of a lot of, you know, different uh, suppliers, OEMs, et cetera, and no indication that, that, that this was, uh, you know, on the cards by, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it, you, you've had, you know, consistent message coming out of Toyota. You know, what, what are they, about 12 million units globally, somewhere in that regard? Um, They're down to 10 now. To 10, they might uh, even drop under 10. Right. So they were saying, you know, somewhere in the 15, 20 percent will be, you know, EVs. And, but they never really said what EVs were. I mean, fuel cell was still, you know, a you know, major component of, of that strategy. I think that's been seems to be about to be blown up. Um, you know, yet to see who um, Sato brings on from the management team perspective. But I wouldn't be, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of non-Japanese executives or, or talent coming into to that to that management team at least at the technical levels to you know to bring that bring that thought that and, thought and who knows maybe even a woman or two because I've got zero right now it's uh not not unusual for Japan um but but I certainly agree with that okay so so you know morning consult just did a did a survey and it found they asked people if they'd be very interested in buying an EV within the next five years. Now, this doesn't bring us to, to Joe Biden's 2030 when there's going to be 50% of uh, EVs out there, but okay, 2028. Of all the people, 19% said they'd be interested in buying an EV within five years. And, you know, it just it just seems to me that, that again, it's, it's a tremendous amount of money, billions and billions of dollars that we're investing in this. And, and, and by the way, John, Akio wasn't kicked upstairs. He walked upstairs. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, so getting back to like the Toyota strategy or, 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 or Mike, even with, with, you know, Ford Blue, um, you know, these guys are still making engines. They're still making money. Um, I, I, I just am, am, you know, a little confused about this. And then, John, as, as you guys reported on, on AutoLine Daily today, um, you know, the Europeans said, you know, 2035, we're done with ICEs. Yep. And then Italy said, nah, we're not so sure about that. Yep. Okay. Right. So, so we're, we're acting as though this is fate accompli and, and somebody explain to me why I'm wrong. 
Dead silence tells you everything. <laughs> well, I don't. You're not wrong. Uh, but you know, I, uh, interesting announcement from GM uh, a, a month or so ago now about mm -hmm. the, you know almost a billion dollars investment um, in you know four facilities. Uh, you know the the V8 engine. Not, but when you break that announcement apart, actually there were. There were there was money there for thermal management um, and lines, et cetera, for EVs. So it's not all a. It was. It was a. It was a little I think it bit was, of money I think for it was that. Two hundred and fifty million. I think it was. It was. It was perhaps more than we think. But you know, conrods, crankshafts, engine, you know, machine block machining. I mean, if that's not you know something right out of the you know nineties announcements, I don't know what is. But, um, but. We, you know, a GM would say they have no plan B, right? There is no plan B. This is it. And that, but their plan B is really uh, bringing, I mean, they, you know, their strong engine line, keeping that going, improving it, improving the manufacturing efficiency of it. Um, is this the first, you know, admission of that? I, I, I'm not sure, but it's, it's certainly an, inter it's an, it's a, an interesting announcement. You know, I'll, I'll say from the Ford perspective and splitting the company, uh, when they announced that it was, you know, a year ago in March, uh, coming up on your, the one-year anniversary, and when they announced that the uh, conventional wisdom was, well, this is just the first step, and then you know, in a, a decade or so, we'll see them uh, just sort of get rid of Ford Blue and model E. That that'll be the company, right? Mm -hmm. um, that'll be all that's left. But you know, I would, I would wonder, you know, hey, what if things go south with EVs? What if they don't? really catch off uh, maybe ford blue is the company that ends up surviving here and i think you know from the company's perspective they want to specialize right in each area and give each business unit the the appropriate bandwidth to to grow uh but you know you see things like the the new mustang right and that's probably going to go through the at least the end of the decade uh, all gas uh, the new super duty coming online right now they've talked about again it gets back to use case right there's customers that really don't need an EV or, or the, uh, the work they do, uh, EVs can't help with that right now. So they need a gas powered, you know, super duty. And that's going to stay that way for a long time. And do they notably Ford has not said it's going all electric, at least in the U S they've made that announcement in Europe. Um, but yeah, I think they're, we may be past the point of uh, no return to a certain extent in terms of all the money here, but, you know, they do have the gas uh, growth aspirations on the gas side as well. They're not trying to get rid of that anytime soon. And, and you know, I'll just throw in that we still also are going to have corporate average or, or we'll say cafe, uh, corporate average fuel economy standards that are still expected to get more and more stringent, yep. you know, each round yep. that comes out. So in the meantime, it's not like they're going to meet those. And, and at least that's the, certainly the part with the federal government. It's really powertrain agnostic to how a manufacturer can do yep. that as opposed to a zero emission mandate. So at least as that goes, they can at least have the ICE become more efficient in the meantime, if case that adoption rate is slow and seeing that right now, we still know the popularity behind pickup trucks, large SUVs. You need to make those ICEs much more fuel efficient, especially if they end up taking you out until the 2030s. So it definitely makes sense to still have that investment going on. You may just have to be a little bit quiet when you do it because you don't really <laughs> want to publicize that. <laughs> and that may be the whole yeah, thing. That, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, look, we're, we're at the top of the hour. I know we could go another hour on this. This has been a terrific conversation, but I, I think it's a good time to wrap it up. 
Uh, so Devin Lindsay from S&P Global Mobility, Mark Barrett from Plant Moran, Mike Martinez from Automotive News. Thanks, you guys. This is really good. You, you guys uh, have shared a lot of valuable information with us. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And Gary, I'll see you next week. Thanks. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at Autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the Autoline channel. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 